This is the Tenacious Acorn Podcast, and I'm your host, Jessica O'Neill. Today, we're going to be talking about home fermentation, what the benefits are and how to do it and whether it's safe and you know why you should include it in your diet. So if you've been following me on social media, uh, then you've seen the pictures I've been posting of my delicious yogurt and my shrub and the fermentation projects that I've been working on. And over on the blog, I just recently reviewed the book that I've been using to fuel my fermentation madness here at the house. And that is The Art of Fermentation by Sander Katz, which is available on Amazon.com. And if you're interested in fermentation at all, I really suggest that you get a copy of this book. It is 498 pages of priceless information and written in a way that's really easy to understand and gives you a ton of confidence to be able to tackle these projects at home. So what I want to talk about today is what I'm currently working on, some upcoming projects I'm thinking about doing it. Um, Like I said, whether this is something that anybody can do, why we want to do it, you know, all the usual questions that go along with it, because a lot of people that I talk to about her, about fermented foods are kind of leery of doing it at home. Uh, I'll admit, growing up, my household, even though my mom cooked everything, she didn't do any sort of preserving other than in the freezer. She grew up in the era of exploding pressure cookers and pressure canners and just had zero interest in having stuff explode in her kitchen, uh, which we did actually have some wine that my dad was making explode in the kitchen the one time. And that was the angriest I think I've ever seen her in my entire life. She wasn't super happy about the uh, the bloop, bloop, blooping noises going on while the wine was fermenting. And then when it exploded, I think that kind of put the kibosh on future fermenting projects in our household, because that's really the last one I remember happening. Um, but gr- not growing up, having that hap- having fermenting projects going on kind of uh, caused me to think that this was something that you couldn't do safely at home, even though I was always intrigued by it. You know, I heard stories about how her grandfather, uh, my great-grandfather on my Polish side, he made fantastic sauerkraut. And she talked about how, you know, he kept a brick on the top and he'd take the covering off and they'd scoop some out and they would have it for dinner. And, you know, that this was just something he did. My my grandfather, my great-grandfather's son, he talked about having to shred the cabbage and shred horseradish and all this. And it was it was fascinating to me, even though the way it was being described, it was like this horrible thing that they had to do. Um, so maybe it's, you know, maybe the fermentation bug, haha, skips a generation. I don't know. Uh, but I've always been massively interested in how to do this stuff at home. Now, caveat, I don't can. I would like to learn uh, how to do that, but so far I haven't actually done anything (laughs) beyond reading some articles on it. But with fermenting things, you don't have to can them because fermenting is in itself a way to preserve food. 
This was a way for our ancestors to preserve fruits and vegetables, to preserve dairy products, to preserve seed products, plant products, fruits and vegetables are plant products, seeds and grains, uh, even meats. You know, dry curing using salt is a method of preservation that actually does kind of fall under the fermentation umbrella. It's in, it, Mr. Katz includes it in in the art of fermentation as well as um, smoking and, and things like that. So you know, it is it's a it's a traditional way to preserve foods. But what I'm really focusing on lately at the house, I've gotten back into making my own yogurt. Uh, I had excluded all dairy except for goat cheeses and some aged cheeses from my diet for quite some time. Uh, And I recently decided that I needed for me to include fermented dairy back into my diet. I just, I love the taste of yogurt. And I also find that my health improves when I'm including that in my diet. So I've started making my own yogurt again. I've also started making fruit shrubs, fruit shrubs, that's fun to say, and fun to drink. Um, And I currently am growing a scoby so I can start making my own kombucha. So let's talk about the yogurt that I've been making and how I've been doing that. you would think it is really, really hard, but it's actually incredibly easy. Uh, I just take a quart of whole milk. I, I don't do low-fat dairy generally. Uh, a quart of whole milk, and you heat it up to 180 degrees in a non-reactive pot. If you uh, have been on the blog and read my uh, Kitchen Essentials guide on there, I talk about the importance of non-reactive cookware. So my cookware is stainless steel. I use a stainless steel sauce pot. You heat the milk slowly to 180 degrees while you're stirring it. This does take a while. So put on some music or an audiobook that you want to listen to. Generally, I'm stirring for about a half an hour while the milk heats up to 180 degrees. Uh, keep it there for I generally keep mine there for 10 minutes. 15 minutes is what's routinely recommended, um, but I find I have good results with 10 minutes. And then you want to cool it down to 115 degrees because you're going to add live yogurt culture starters in. And if it's warmer than 115 degrees, it's going to kill off your, your good live starter. And that's what's going to take that milk from just being milk into being a fermented product yogurt because those little bacteria that you're going to put in there, those happy bacteria are going to convert, they're going to feed on the sugars that are in the milk. They're going to feed on the lactose that's in there and they're going to ferment the milk into yummy, tasty, tangy yogurt. So the reason why you heat it up to 180 degrees and hold it there for 10 to 15 minutes is that's going to kill off any bacteria that would compete with the starter culture that you're going to put in. So where do you get your starter culture? I generally, if I hadn't made yogurt in a while, like, like I haven't, um, I'll just buy an organic plain 
yogurt, whole milk yogurt with live cultures in it. And previously I had always bought uh, Stonyfield. And this time I decided to go with the Icelandic yogurt product called Skyr, S-K-Y-R. Um, Skyr is technically a cheese because it's usually made with rennet. But one of the ones that I found in my local grocery store didn't have rennet in it. Uh, and in addition to the two usual yogurt bacteria, it had a third Streptococcus thermoacidophilus, I think is what it was, which is what you'll find in kefir a lot of times, which is a fermented drinkable type of yogurt. So I decided to use the skier and just use the regular yogurt making process and it worked so well. So once you cool your milk back down to 115 degrees, which you can do either just by stirring it and letting it sit there, or you can put your pot into an ice bath um, and stir the milk around in the pot. And the ice bath, of course, will help to cool that faster. Um, You're going to take a cup of that milk that's at 115 degrees. Go ahead and take your pot out of the ice bath. Uh, Take a cup of the warm milk Stir about two tablespoons of starter into a cup of that. Once it's smooth, add it back into the milk. Stir it all around to incorporate it. Then you're going to put a lid on your container. Usually what I end up doing is transferring mine out of the pot because I'm going to need that pot to cook breakfast or dinner the next day. And I put it into a big glass Pyrex measuring cup that I have um, And then I just cover the top of it over with some cling film, uh, wrap it in a couple of nice kitchen towels, and then I set the whole thing onto a heating pad set on low, wrap all of that into a big bath towel, and let it go for usually 12 hours set on low, um, which keeps it right at about 110 or 115 degrees. And so I do all this after dinner. Uh, usually goes on to the heating pad about nine o'clock, maybe a little bit later in the evening. And then the next day when we're ready for breakfast, the yogurt's ready. So all you do then is take it off of the the heating pad, scoop out what you want, put the rest of it into another container and put it in the fridge. It comes out pretty thick as it is. I like mine super thick, so I usually strain at least half of it. But it also continues to thicken up a little bit in the uh, in the refrigerator. So that's yogurt. That is, I mean, it's super easy. It's super simple. A quart of organic pasture-raised milk costs me $2.79 at my grocery store. And I get a quart of delicious organic homemade yogurt, which, you know, to buy a quart of it, I'm saving at least a dollar on a quart of yogurt every time I buy it, if not more. So right there, I mean, if you think about it, if you're somebody who enjoys yogurt and you have a family, you're probably going through a couple of quarts a week. You know, you can save a couple of bucks doing it. Plus it's, I don't know, to me, it's fun to make it at home. You can play around with it. You you could do a shorter fermentation. Uh, it would be runnier uh, and not quite as tangy. Again, I like mine to be tangy and thick, so I let it go. For 12 hours, um, you can play around with how much starter you use. You can use different starters. You know, I, like I said, I use the skier. 
But then once you have yogurt in the house that you've made, you just save out a couple of tablespoons of that batch and you use it to start your next batch. So it's it's not costing you anything additional. You're not having to buy a new starter every time, anything like that. I love it. I think it's fun, especially if you have little kids. This is, I mean, this is science. It's food science. So you can be teaching them how to do something with science, with, you know, with a chemical reaction, with these little bacteria eating the sugars. And I, I don't know. I just think kids would think it was fantastic um, and super fun. And again, that's always a good way to get kids to eat something that they might not be interested in eating. Um as if they've had a hand in making it. So the other thing that I made recently and put pictures up of was a mango shrub that I had made. And shrubs are really, really interesting. Shrubs are basically vinegar that's been infused with fruit and then sweetened to whatever level you like. And then it's a concentrate and you dilute it with water, either carbonated or not. You can use it in wine. You can use it as is, like poured over ice cream or whatever. But by using a raw living vinegar like Bragg's apple cider vinegar, you get all the benefits of that living fermented drink in a really accessible way. So to make a shrub, all you do is take whatever fruit you like. I, I decided to use mangoes because they're cheap at the grocery store right now. No, not to be, you know, not, not to be fancy about it. They were, they were a really good price. So I bought mangoes and I had some fresh ginger in the fridge. And so I just chopped up mangoes and ginger, you know, peeled the mangoes, of course, uh, chopped them up, threw them in a bowl, covered it with about a cup, maybe a cup and a half of Bragg's raw apple cider vinegar, and let that sit for three days to really infuse the mango flavor into the vinegar. I sort of mashed the mango a little bit over the course of the days to really release the flavor um, and get the juices mixed in with the vinegar. And then I strained the fruit out and I added in about a half a cup of raw sugar and stirred it around till it dissolved. I didn't heat this because, again, I want to keep those live cultures in the vinegar. I want to keep those happy and growing. And they're going to they're gonna feast on that sugar that's in, number one, the fruit juice, and then the amount of added sugar that I put into it. So I, I just dissolved the sugar in that, and then I bottled it and corked the bottle. And you shake it up. I leave it sit on the counter because the vinegar's raw, so I'm not I'm not worried about anything spoiling because it's got that good bacteria in there that's munching on the sugars. Um, so I just shake it up and I pour a little bit into a glass and I top it up with some sparkling mineral water and I have a great refreshing little tonic to drink with my dinner. Super easy. I this shrubs. I know they date back to at least colonial times, but I would assume that they go all the way back to medieval times, if not before that. Um, and they're just a great way to incorporate vinegar into your diet, which, of course, you know, apple cider vinegar has really phenomenal health benefits, you know, as long as it's still raw, still, still living. But you can use, you know, red wine vinegar, you can use rice wine vinegar, whatever kind of vinegar you think would, would pair well with whatever fruit you've chosen. And then the thing that I'm working on right this minute, I'm looking at it across the room from my desk here, is kombucha. And kombucha, if you don't know, I feel like most people are pretty, pretty up on kombucha right now. But 
If you don't know what kombucha is, it's basically a fermented sweet tea. I first had it, I guess, about five years ago or six years ago. I had an upset stomach the one day, and my sweetie pulled into the local co-op down here and said, I want you to try this stuff. It's called kombucha. I think it's going to straighten your stomach out. And he got me his ginger, GT's ginger kombucha. And I tried it and I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. Um, And since then, I've been drinking it like a mad woman. It's really expensive though. It's like $4 for a 16 ounce bottle of kombucha. And who wants to spend, you know, four bucks on a bottle of kombucha if you don't have to? Now, you know, having said that, GT's is a great company and they make delicious kombucha and there's a lot of local kombucha makers here in North Carolina and I don't want to take any business away from them at all but again you know I'm a DIY kind of person and I love to play in the kitchen so I'm currently growing my own scoby so that I can make my own kombucha and what the heck is a scoby a scoby is a symbiotic colony of bacteria and yeast SCOBY. Ta-da! How do you grow a SCOBY? Well, you basically take a bottle of plain kombucha and you pour it into a container and you cover that container with, uh, I'm using a clean flour sack dish towel doubled over and rubber banded onto the top of my glass container. And that is going to allow the SCOBY to form on the top because of how kombucha is made. It much like vinegar that hasn't been pasteurized. It has the uh, enzymes in it. It has what it needs in it, has the good bacteria in it to go ahead and regenerate that SCOBY, that colony of beneficial bacteria and yeast. So it's probably going to take about a week for my SCOBY to form. And once that forms, all I'll do is take it out of that jar, uh, brew up a batch of sweet tea. I'll probably go ahead and do about a quart to begin with, um, just because it'll be the first time that I'm doing this. I don't want to make five gallons and, and then be committed to you know, taking care of five gallons of kombucha and what if it doesn't work. So I'll brew up about a quart of sweet tea using black tea and raw organic sugar. And then I'll just put my SCOBY on the top of it, cover it over, and let it ferment. So what's going to happen there is the bacteria and the yeast that's in the SCOBY is going to digest those sugars that are in the tea. Um, And that in itself, that fermentation process, is going to preserve that tea. Uh, It takes it from being a sweet tea to being a more tart beverage. You can drink it plain once it's finished, and it's finished when it tastes right to you. There's no right or wrong end point with this. Um, If you let it go forever and ever, it's going to get really acidic. It's going to become more like a vinegar, and then you can just use it like a vinegar. Once it's reached the point where you like the taste of it, you can then bottle it and add... Uh, fruit juice if you want, or you can actually throw in whole fruit or herbs or, you know, whatever you want to flavor it, or you can leave it plain. Either way, you just bottle it, 
um, so that it's capped tightly. You can reuse your empty kombucha bottles. You can use swing top bottles. You can use growlers, whatever you like. Pop it in the fridge and you're good to go. If you want it to be fizzy, you just, once you bottle it, um, add a little bit more sweetener to it, either the either sugar or the fruit juice, if you're flavoring it with fruit or vegetable juices, leave it out on the counter capped for a couple of days. It's going to go ahead and do a secondary fermentation, form that carbon dioxide. Then you can put it in the fridge to stop the fermentation process and drink it. So I'm really, really excited and looking forward to how this is going to come out. Um, some upcoming projects that I'm thinking about. We made cider last year. I think I would like to try that again this year. Um, ours came out pretty well. It It's a very northern French style cider. It's not terribly fizzy. It's not sweet at all. It's very, very dry. I think I would like to try back sweetening our cider this year and see how that comes out. I would love to try to make wine. That may take some uh, cajoling on my part because that's a, that is quite the process. Um, and then sauerkraut. I want to see if my great-grandfather's sauerkraut gene got passed on to me. I did 23andMe recently. They apparently have not identified a specific sauerkraut gene, but you know, I'd like to see if, if this little acorn fell very far from that tree. Um, a question I get asked a lot, though, about doing things at home in the kitchen uh, is, is this safe? you know, are, are you endangering your health by doing this? What if something goes wrong? What if it gets moldy, blah, blah, blah. Well, first of all, you know, just following basic food safety, safe handling, sanitation procedures, that's going to eliminate a lot of risk right there. You know, anytime you're working with food, you want it, you want to keep your area clean. You know, you want to wash your hands before you stick them into a crock of of shredded cabbage and salt water and start massaging things. You know, you don't want to have just clean the cat box and walk into the kitchen without washing your hands and start touching food. So, you know, basic common sanitation principles are important. Observe those at all times. And you want to make sure that the utensils and the containers that you're using have been washed properly and rinsed properly. They don't have soap residue. They don't have food residue, things like that. But you have to remember that fermentation goes back, 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 back. Hundreds of thousands of years, people have been doing this before we had Clorox, before we had Be Bright, before we had, you know, SanaSafe, any of those things that we use now. So this is a way to let bacteria benefit us by eating things that would cause food to to spoil. So as long as you're not seeing, you know, black or green or pink mold on your food, you know, then you're generally going to be okay. It's the, the, I guess the caveat to keep in mind is if you think something's really wrong, it might be really wrong. If it's, if something is wrong, it's going to get, it's going to get worse as it continues. And then you're really going to know, but if something smells rancid or cheesy, or you see black or green fuzzy mold growing on your your project, go ahead and get rid of that and clean everything really well and start again from scratch. But, you know, there's a lot of fermentation that goes on in traditional cultures where they don't have access to a dishwasher and, you know, all of our cleaning products, you know, mare's milk fermenting in an animal skin 
container on the steps of Mongolia, uh, you know, women in Africa walking around with goat milk and gourds that's fermenting in there into a traditional food. Uh, There are traditional drinks where people chew up cooked potatoes and spit them back out into a cooking vessel and cover that with water and heat it up a little bit and let that amylase uh, enzyme from our saliva start the fermentation process to make an alcoholic beverage. So, I mean, that doesn't necessarily sound like anything I want to drink, but you know, knowing that that's how a lot of things are done, I think can give us the confidence to try them in our own super clean kitchens here in the modern world. Um, you know, to to kind of take you know the fear out of it a little bit. I mean, you, all you're doing is facilitating the growth of beneficial bacteria. You know, it's not rocket science. You're just creating an environment where good bacteria can do what they would do anyway and create a delicious food product. Um, but why why do we want to eat these fermented food products, right? Why do this in the first place? Why eat yogurt? Why drink kombucha? Why have a shrub? Why worry about sauerkraut? Well, it's because of those beneficial bugs that are doing their thing, right? Probiotics. So probiotics are these happy little bugs that live in our guts and contribute to our overall health. Unfortunately, due to uh, overeating processed foods and things that I don't even consider to be food, you know, food products kind of, um, the overuse of antibiotics, which kill antibiotics, kill probiotics. Hello, you know, there we go. Um, antibiotics, when we take them, when we need them, they can't distinguish between the good bacteria and the bad bacteria. They just kill all the bacteria. So then we have a gut that doesn't, isn't full of the good bacteria that we need to maintain our good health. So repopulating our good gut health is real, our good gut bacteria is really important to our overall immune system health. Um, you know, when we have a gut full of good bacteria, it allows our immune system to work properly. It keeps everything in balance. And of course, we, we know that our gut health influences everything from our physical health to our mental health. They're finding a huge link between depression and messed up gut bacteria. So anything we can do to keep our body digesting food properly, to keep that that biotic balance in our guts is important. And it can be as simple as including fermented foods every day in our diet. You know, you can include kimchi, you can include tempeh, you can include sauerkraut, kombucha, there's a gazillion different fermented foods out there. So doing it at home makes it a little cheaper a lot of times and a little easier, but it also, you know, if you, if you're somebody who lives in the middle of nowhere, you don't have a natural health food store, you don't have a co-op, you don't have, you know, a Trader Joe's or a farmer's market, it might be really hard for you to get food that's still alive. You know, sauerkraut that you buy next to the bacon at 
the Piggly Wiggly is generally not still alive. That's been pasteurized. It's been preserved. You know, it's not, it doesn't still have those live cultures in it. But when you make it at home, of course, it does still, it, you, you're creating that. Those cultures are alive and well and doing their thing in there. Um, the same with yogurt. You know, most yogurts, most places now, you're going to be able to find yogurt with live cultures. But there's such a wide variety of beneficial bacteria. It's not just those couple, two, three cultures or seven cultures in your yogurt, you know, however many are in there. So by including a variety of these traditional foods, traditional fermented foods into our diet, we're really able to keep our body in balance and also, you know, get our vitamins and minerals and get them in a a whole foods natural way, as opposed to popping a pill. And as somebody who, you know, last winter had to take a ton of probiotics because I had pneumonia and I had to be on very strong antibiotics to get rid of the bacterial pneumonia that I had come down with. Um, My gut was a mess and I ended up taking uh, three rounds of a very intensive probiotic regimen and it was expensive. It was like 45 bucks each time. So I spent well over, you know, 120 bucks. I spent what, $135 on pills of probiotics. And who wants to do that, right? Like, I don't even want to spend $4 on a bottle of kombucha when I can make it at home for the cost of some tea bags and some sugar. Uh, I definitely don't want to spend 140 or $150 on pills when I can just eat real food. And isn't that what we all should be doing anyway? It's just eating real food. You know, let thy medicine be food, let food be thy medicine. That's the famous quote, right? So that's what's up with me and fermentation and why I think it's important and why I think we should all be eating more fermented foods. Um, bottom line, if for no other reason, they taste amazing and it's fun to play in the kitchen. So that's it for today. I appreciate you listening. I hope you'll join me for our next episode. You can click on the subscribe button to make sure that you never miss a broadcast. And if you'd like to learn more about me and my coaching services, you can check out the website, tenaciousacorn.com. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram to see what I'm up to on a daily basis. Sometimes you'll see pictures of my cat. There's three of them. So be, be aware of that. Uh, I'm on both uh, Twitter and Instagram as Tenacious Acorn, and we have a Facebook page as well. Uh, Until next time, I hope you'll take care of yourself. Ciao.